Neighborhood Church. To find out more about who we are, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. Happy Palm Sunday, yes. It is Palm Sunday. We, like, um, I was raised in the Catholic tradition, and I always remember that was my favorite Sunday because they gave you stuff, right? Instead of, like, giving me shame and guilt, I got, like, a flower and a, or not a flower, what do you call it, a plant? A palm leaf, thank you, yes. Go, goes with it. So, um, today, we are going to be talking similar to Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the time where Jesus uh, fulfills his prophecy, hops on his donkey, and he walks down, and people throw off their, um, their coats, essentially, and they start chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna, in the highest. And where Jesus turns, everyone expects Jesus to take a left, because to the left is towards the empire. To the left is where if you want to take power and control, that's the way of Caesar. That's the, you're going to confront the place that has all the power. And instead, Jesus goes right, away from power. Jesus tells a different story. The part of Palm Sunday is how we will worship things. We will say things are holy and uh, amazing and beautiful, thinking it's going to lead to something strong, loud, proud. And what it leads to is this um, lowering of self, telling a new story, uh, which fits perfectly uh, with parenting. And before I share this, um, I recognize that uh, not everyone here has kids, and maybe by choice, right? You're like, we don't want kids, and maybe... You, not by choice, and you wish you had kids, you, you can't. There's people who are single, there's people who are married, there's people who have kids, and it's amazing, and there's people who have kids, and it's complicated, and I'm just saying, all of it belongs. All of it belongs. By me being one of the, the, peop- the person who speaks 70% of the time, there's, you're going to hear a, a similar story of like, remember when I was in junior high, huh, 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 right? And then you're also going to hear stories about me being a white man and being married and having kids, in no way am I implying this is the good life. <laughs> I think you could all see. We're, well, we're with you, Chris. Don't worry, right? But I just want to acknowledge, I try doing this every once in a while, of when I'm using analogy of a kid, that doesn't always translate to everyone. And I'm saying the real you and where you're at is also valid and beautiful. Um, but uh, when Nick and I were about to have kids, I remember um, thinking, oh, we're going to like, hold this cute little baby, and it's going to go goo-goo-gaga, right? We're going to buy Air Jordans for this baby, which there's no reason to buy shoes for kids. They can't walk, right? Why Why do we do it? Because it makes us feel amazing, right? You're like, look, my kid's got Jordans on. No big deal, right? And when you get to pick shirts that say, like, sassy things, and it's really not for the kid. It's for you, right? Um, and I thought, like, and A, I did have several of those moments where you're holding the baby, right? And it's like, can life get any better than this? What people didn't tell us is there's those days, then there's a thing where babies have enough power um, that they can uh, fill their whole entire back full of human excrement, all right? And it's like, it shoots, it's, it's like violent out of the diaper, and it goes all the way up into their hair, and they love it. They're like, look what I did, right? And you have to use a towel or your hand or whatever it is, right, to clean it up, right? And there's that, those kind of moments way more than these kind of moments, right? And it, it's like the things that I've 
if you would have said when I was like, what if we were so young when we had kids, oh my gosh, when I was 22, right? Oh my gosh. Uh, um, and said, hey, do you think if I give you these series of words, do you think those will ever come out of your mouth? I'd be like, no, there's no way that would ever say, stop licking the ceiling, right? That's, I had to say that before, right? I had to, like, I'm like, what are you licking the ceiling for? I'm like, what am, what, what, what's going on in my mouth right now? And if you think about it, we make a lot of decisions in life based on um, if I put this investment in it, what am I going to get in return? We do this with friends. We do this with your partner. You do this with your jobs. We do this with working out. What same person would want to go run 26 miles, right? There's got to be some sort of value or benefit coming back. If we made decisions like that about kids, we would never have kids, right? Because what, you're, what do you get back in return for your kids when it comes to any kind of economic value? You get a tax credit. That's awesome, right? Whenever I meet someone new and they're having kids, I'm like, dude, you're going to get some tax credits and it's going to be really great. Um, because, like, the amount of money that you put into your kids, the amount of energy you put into your kids, the amount of anxiety and stress you put in your kids, it's not like you're getting it equally back, right? You don't have kids to make money, right? You don't have kids so that you can travel more. <laughs> it's just, so why do we do it? Because we love them. And that's what love does. Love demands that we be something and do something. Love is not based on a feeling. If even just in uh, my marriage, it wouldn't be like if I only love Nikki just when I feel like it, that would be not a great marriage. I love you, honey. Always do. Always want to love you. Um, but it has to be something that transcends just a feeling. If I want to be a good dad, I could just go get a T-shirt that says good dad and pointing up to me, right? And I could tell everyone, like, yes, I'm a self-proclaimed good dad. And they'd say, hey, what are your kids' birthdays? And I said, no clue, right? Well, what's their middle names? Didn't give them one, right? Not that you're a bad parent if you don't give your kid a bad middle name. That was a dumb joke. But uh, you'd say, well, what makes you good dad? And if I just said, I have a good feeling about it. I'm a self-proclaimed good dad. You would say, you are not a good dad. Good dads are um, as a result of good dadding, right, of good parenting. You would look at what that parent does. You're a good friend when you do good things. You show love. You are a good employee. You are a good partner. You're a good uh, volleyball player because you are actually giving to that space, that energy. And when you do that, you can look at the fruit of it and say, oh, that's pretty good. And so why do I have kids? Because they've transformed my world. I'm a better person. And it's not this equal financial thing, but who I've been able to become and see and feel and discover and wonder is through those three awkward, lovey, little transformational kids, right? And there's this line that Jesus has. He says, they shall know you are my disciples, my students, by the way you, any guessers out there? By the way you love one another, right? And that is a beautiful statement. He says, and if you, if you love in the way I love, if you love each other in the way I loved you, then the world will know that you are my students, teachers. Uh, we use the word Christian, right? Little Christs. And if I would have, we took a survey and said, all right, what makes someone a Christian? Popular answers would be, my parents were, right? <laughs> That's probably number one. Number two would be, uh, oh, I professed that Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior, and I said this Romans Road salvation prayer, or I was baptized, or I show up to church. And all those things have a story and have a place in it, right? But the problem is Jesus doesn't say any of that, right? 
Jesus didn't know what Romans Road was, right? Jesus never talks about some sort of salvation prayer. He says what? They're going to know that you're with me. They, they're going to know that you like party with me, that you're like me, that you're part of this whole kingdom of God transformation, bring all things new to itself by the way that you love one another. And so this is the end of chapter 13. Like Jesus is referring to something. Love each other the same way I loved you. How did Jesus love his disciples in this part? We're going to read it. I'm going to read it to you, John 13. Because it's important. Like when we read the Bible and we think, oh, Jesus said we should love each other the same way I loved you. How did Jesus love? Uh, lots of ways. He fed people. True. But there is this deeply powerful thing that Jesus does with this towel. Where's my notes? Here we go. It's, I'm going to be reading out of John chapter 13, starting verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon, Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. All right, pause. John goes out of his way and repeats himself several times. Jesus comes from God, is aware that all the power is his, and that he's going back to God. So whatever's happening, Jesus is acutely aware. All this power is here now. I came from God, and I guess I'm going back. Right? It's important. Chapter, or verse 4. So he got up for the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped the towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus re replied, you don't realize now what I'm, what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Uh, their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew he was going to be betrayed, betray him, and that's why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing the, their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them in 13. Or he asked them, verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Jumping ahead to verse 34, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. All right. There is a lot, a lot happening in here. The first is, this is uh, the Last Supper, and they're sitting down. Not like how you're sitting down. How they'd be sitting down would be more like uh, it'd be close to the ground, and they'd be laying out with the, their elbow on the table. And almost be like there's a like big spoon, little spoon, right? Like it's, that's kind of how close they are. There is, they're close in proximity. It's a very vulnerable um, place to be at a table like this. And they'd be drinking wine, dipping some bread in some oil. They'd be talking. They'd be laughing. And then all of a sudden... Jesus, the rabbi, the Messiah, Emmanuel, notices, hey, no one's washed any feet. So Jesus hops up and starts feeling the water, the bowl full of water. And according to Hebrew writings, um, you were allowed to wash each other's feet. Like Hebrew slaves or servants couldn't come and wash your 
feet. It was frowned upon. And here Jesus is walking up and saying, well, I guess it's time to wash some feet. So you can imagine the awkwardness that's happening in the room, of or like the suspicion that's happening in this room. Why is he doing this? Then Jesus begins to undress. And the symbolism and the metaphor that's in just this is rich. Here's the, 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 same, the, the same Messiah, that, or the same rabbi that called himself Messiah, the same rabbi that went and fed 5,000 people that spit in the mud and put, put it and healed a blind man's eyes, the same one that just raised Lazarus from the dead. All these signs of power, all these signs of transformation, uh, all these people that are following him, Jesus is this strong, powerful, according to them, person. And here, the thing that makes him stand out, right, how he dresses in his cloak that says, you're a strong man, you're a leader, you're a rabbi, Jesus begins to disrobe. Jesus begins to undress. The level of vulnerability and intimacy and closeness that's happening of the, the God with us begins to undress and grabs a towel and begins to wrap it around his waist and be, begins to wash the feet. And Peter does what any sane person would do. Don't touch my feet, Jesus, right? If any of you came up to me and said, hey, I'm going to wash your feet, I'd say, hey, no, you're not, right? I, and I think that's like a lot of people. It's, it would be weird if someone just came started like, like brushing my face or touching my feet. Or My pet peeve is I don't like people touching the inside of my arms. Just don't. And it's funny that when I say that, there's going to be like four of you, including my dad, and come, hey, what's going on, Chris? And so um, uh, the feet thing. So Peter, you can read Peter in two different ways. You can read Peter saying, um, like a term of dearment, like, no, Jesus, don't wash my feet. And Jesus says, hey, by the way, you're not going to get any of this, so let's just get through it. And then he says, no, then, then wash all of me, Lord. I read Peter in the traditional way that he is uh, a, a drama uh, loves the drama for the mama, right? And he goes over the top on everything, right? And then more of like, no, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. And she's like, hey, Peter, can we tone it down a little? He's like, well, then wash all of me, right? And Pe- that's, how, that's how it comes across uh, as, as Peter because Peter understands there is, this, there is this way of being human. There is this order of who's important, who's strong. I talk about this a lot. There is this ranking system of who gets what. And down that pecking order, you have access to that power, to that life, to that wealth. And Peter is well aware that he keeps, Jesus keeps talking about this kingdom of God. And Jesus is going to go and, uh, and, and bring this transformation in life. And they are, they're thinking, oh, he's going to do this through political force. He's going to do this through some sort of uprising. He's going to do this uh, through gathering all this power. And Peter understands, if I'm in somewhere in, like, the top ten, I get power, right? And we do this at work. We can do this with friends. You can do this with even, like, uh, people who are somewhat, like, C-list celebrities. And like, oh, yeah, I know Dusty Johnson. He met the president. No big deal, all right? We think that by dropping a name or being close, we can have some access to that power. Even the other disciples, their moms, show up to Jesus. And like, Jesus, I know you're busy. Come over here for a second. Can my boys get a spot at your table? This happens a couple times. Why? Because they know if you get in on the power, you get on the good life. You're on the right side of history. And what Jesus says is, um, hey, Peter, like, uh, I'm half naked, and I'm washing your feet, and this is where power lies. He's telling a new story. Whatever you think this ranking system is, however you think you're going to gain power, Jesus is saying there's a new story to be told. And an old story. There's a story of Elijah and Elisha. 
right? These are old prophets uh, from the Hebrew Bible. And I'm pretty sure Elisha is first. All right, yeah, well, one of the two. All right, let's, let's go with Elisha's first, right? And Elisha has, like, these powerful moments where he calls them fire down on this altar to prove to all the other priests and their gods that this god's better. And does, uh, this prophecy raises this sick boy back to life. Does some, he's like Captain Marvel of the Hebrew Bible, essentially, right? So he's, he's hundreds of years old. He's getting ready to uh, die. And uh, the way he dies, he gets a chariot that picks him up and carries him to heaven. I am pro-chariot versus dying in my sleep. And so I am hoping for the chariot to take me away. I'm going to write a book called Get the Chariot in 90 Days and Make a Lot of Money. So um, uh, before he goes into this chariot, there's a new up-and-comer, young pup named Elijah. And Elijah, Elisha goes to Elijah and says, hey, what do you want? And he goes, hey, can you pass your mantle onto me? A mantle would be like a cape. That's the easiest way to describe it. It's like a cape. And with that mantle comes all this power. And he goes, oh, by the way, Elisha, can I also get a double blessing? Can we double it up? Uh, uh, right? Like that song. And so um, Elisha says, sure. And he gives him the mantle, double blessing, and he even to test it out, because that's what you do. Like Reagan says, trust and verify. He takes that mantle, holds it over water, and the water splits in two. Right? There is this loud, strong fire, uh, knowing what's happening in the future, water splitting apart kind of power that he passes on. Jesus is doing the same thing here. Jesus is passing um, his mantle onto his disciples. And he does it through, not a cloak, but through a towel. Jesus gets down, and in that towel that smells like feet and full of dirty water is where that transformation and that power is coming from. But the way it's played out is quite different. It's not through fire. It's not through these big, loud signs. It's through washing feet. See, the towel was used by women. Even says Hebrew slaves or servants can't wash the feet of men. Um, guess who still does? Women. Story in the Bible of the unnamed woman who washes Jesus' feet. Story of the woman who breaks the perfume and washes Jesus' feet with her hair. And the Hebrew Bible tells multiple stories of women washing hair. And why is this allowed? Uh, because we'll use them for their bodies. We'll use them for their work. That was a dominant theme at the time of there's being a man, and it's amazing being a man. If it's being a woman, hey, help me keep power. Help me retain pleasure. Help me keep this status. The towel that would be used to wipe up the baby's explosive diarrhea, however that looked back then. The towel that would have been used to wipe up the spilled wine. The towel that could have been warm to put on someone for sore joints. The towel that could have been used as a a makeshift uh, um, pillow so you could take a nap. Same towel that's used to wash the feet Jesus is showing, this is my mantle. I want you to love people in the same way I loved you. And they're going to know that you're part of this whole kingdom movement by the way you love one another. And what does love do? It demands you see the person in front of you. Love demands for you to be aware of the needs of the people around you. Love demands that we move to those that we have cast aside, we have pushed aside, that there's something powerful and something to be learned by those people. All the things Jesus could demonstrate of I'm passing this on to you, for all the history of history, they're going to know you're my disciples through this cloth. I found this to be so incredibly um, um, impactful. Of We all think of, oh, the, pa- the mantle of Christ that's passed on to us is going to be 
getting on TV and saying, Jesus is Lord, right? Or it might be through this big loud demonstration. It might be through all these other ways. And Jesus is saying, what if the power of the kingdom of God lives in a damp, dirty towel? And we could use it to extend kindness and love and grace in the most unlikely places. So this is where I end. One of the things I truly believe is that if I want to experience anything in this world, I have to be willing to be it and do it. My dream is that my kids, I keep pointing as my kids are right there. Uh, my dream is that my kids, who are going to surprise me, um, is that they can go through life with minimal pain. I think that's every parent's dream is I want to take on the pain. I want to make the mistakes. I want to make enough money to pass on them so they don't have to worry about anything. And it's a pipe dream. I know it's not going to happen, but it's what I want. And I want my kids to experience love. I want my kids to experience justice. I want my kids to be believed. I want my kids to find pleasure and be their fullest self. And if you ask me, Chris, well, what do you want for yourself? Right? I would say two things. I want to be the mayor of Carleton someday, and that's not a lie, right? Um, starting the campaign starts now, all right? 2055, I'm mayor. Um, will I be alive? Yeah, I'll be alive then. Yeah, 55. So um, I have the potential to be alive, I'll say that. Um, second thing is this. I just want to be loved. What I've learned of, like, any kind of career goals or any kind of financial goals, those are all secondary. What I want most in this world is I just want to be loved by my family, by my partner, by my kids, by the people in our church, the people in our neighborhood. I want to walk around and that, that I could be believed, I could be loved, and I could belong. What I've learned is that the world is not always as nice. But if I want to experience that, I have to put the energy out first. And this is what Jesus is telling Peter. He's like, you're not going to get any of this. So what that means is I have to be willing to be vulnerable. I have to be willing to undress. I have to be willing to expose parts of my heart and put that love maybe in unfair places to show up and speak my voice and to invite people and include people even though they're going to take those words and they're going to use it directly against me, which sadly has happened a lot. I've had people say, well, why do you, Continue answering your phone. Why do you keep having those meetings with those people? Why do you keep responding to those emails? And my thought is, this is what love does. And it hurts. And I'd rather keep the cloak on. I'd rather stay wrapped up in tight. I'd rather leave the towel. Someone else do the towel, right? I'll be over here getting my work done. But if we really believe in transformational love, if we really believe we're going to make a difference in this world, the only way we do it is if we be it. If we're not willing to be it, if we're not willing to do it, then we're just playing a game. We're just playing a nice ethical game instead of being a part of the transformational work of the kingdom of God. So that's my invitation to you. All that to say is let's be that love in this world. So I'm going to invite Nikki up. We're going to sing that song one last time um, above all else. Uh, Vicki Beeching is her name? Vicki Beeching um, wrote this song, and she has a whole entire story of um, being a uh, worship leader in a church and then coming out of the closet as queer. And in that church, it was not celebrated and had to go through this whole, she has this beautiful story. If you want to read her story, she wrote a book. And this is one of her songs of walking through all this pain, walking through all this, this mess how do I continue to show up in a place of love? How do I be my authentic self even as all these things are going and it's, I can only get that from one place? So if you are here and you are 
exhausted from extending that love to your kids, extending that love to your neighborhood, extending that love to places, um, I'd say this song could be something life-giving. passion in life is to know you. May all of the goals bow down to the journey of loving you more. Jesus, you've showered your goodness on me. Giving your gifts so freely, but there's one thing I'm longing for. Hear my heart's cry and my prayer for this life. And above all else, and above all else, and above all else, give me yourself. So hear my heart's cry. And my prayer for this life And above all else And above all else And above all else Give me yourself Yes, God, as we leave this place, we always leave with you. You're always with us. And would you be with us as we walk out these doors today and fill us with your love and your kindness and your mercy in your name. Amen. Thanks for coming to church. We will see you next week.